Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Design Rewind Podcast. My name is Grant Varno, and today I have the pleasure of having on Andrew Bowker. Andrew is a product manager at IBM. And Andrew, I'd actually like you to go ahead and introduce yourself and talk more about yourself in detail. But thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. Uh, excited to excited to, to join. It's, it's my first podcast appearance ever. So, you know, we got to break the bread at some point and this is it, right? Um, but yeah, so... So yeah, if you want to, I can I can go into a little bit about me, or I could let you go either way. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So um, yeah, just very briefly. I mean, I went to school for mechanical engineering at a uh, at a at a mechanical engineering type of school, right? So like, <laughs> that's where people come from, flock all over the country to go to this, go to the engineering school here. But um, uh, when I graduated, I was like, you know, there is no chance I'm going to be a mechanical engineer. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I just kind of knew that, um, figured, figured that out through doing some like internships and co-ops in college. And, um, you know, after I graduated, I went and worked in, in nonprofit for a little bit. And oh. yeah, so it was it was cool. I was able to give back to a to a community of people and to an organization that, you know, I, I got to be a part of in, in college. And so it was it was a fun experience. And I kind of looked at it as like, you know, giving back back um but also growing myself as a leader so i really took two years or so to to dive into who i am what i believe you know how i see the world and allowed me to really do like deep introspection and know what i want out of life uh you know after those those couple of years so grew a lot personally um you know but also professionally too i think you know part of my job in nonprofit was about, it was kind of like operations of a small business in, in some ways. Like I got to wear a lot of, a lot of different hats, did some like marketing, um, did some, you know, donor management, did some like HR and finance stuff. And so I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. Um, and around that time, uh, where I was in Raleigh, like the startup ecosystem just started booming. And I was like, I think I want to join a startup. And started looking at different, you know, job postings on websites. And I was like, all right, how do I get into a startup? I don't even know where to begin. And um, I was looking at the different types of jobs that were available there, sales, customer success, and product management was the one that stuck out to me because it, it was like, you get to wear a lot of hats, you get to talk to a lot of different people, you get to solve complex problems, you get to strategize. And I was like, oh, this is like me in a nutshell. I'm like a generalist, you know? And so uh, <laughs> I was like really excited. And so um, I just started like applying, just flying off applications. And I, you know, no dice at all. I totally missed the boat, like got no interviews, nothing. It was ridiculously hard at the time to like get into product management. And um, eventually I landed in the startup space, but in a customer success role. And my plan was to was to land and expand, right? And um, it actually didn't end up panning out that way because right in the middle of that role, I had a buddy reach out to me who was a part of the uh, the MBA program at NC State. And NC State has this you know piece of the MBA program that is all about launching products. It's called technology commercialization. So he was like, you know, you you have a lot of like fun ideas and do a lot of different, you know, projects on the side. Like maybe you should check out this program. And long story short, uh, I eventually accepted into that program and my whole, um, 
Yeah. And the ROI just, you know, for going to going back to school, which I never thought I'd do, by the way, just <laughs> just made way too much sense for me not to do it. So I went ahead and did it. And my whole plan going in was to come out of school with a business. And so that was like literally what I was there to, to do. And uh, and if I couldn't come out with a business, my plan was to leverage whatever I failed to do in school to break into product management. And obviously you, you introduced me as a product manager at IBM. <laughs> and so, and so now uh, that is where I am now. So like I, I launched, uh, tried and failed. Well, I wouldn't say completely failed. It, there are definitely great learnings involved there, but tried and failed three different products in, in, um, in school and ultimately leveraged those in interviews with, uh, with product management interviews to land into IBM. So that's, it's a little bit about me. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, just knowing a bit about you from your LinkedIn content, which is something we'll get into later in the sure. podcast, um, it it seems like I I I'm really I'm really curious. Were you very entrepreneurial as a kid? Were you like the lemonade stand and like the you know <laughs> like shoveling snow kind of kid? Because you have like all these ideas that and you're yeah. you're, you're always I, I you look at like your your LinkedIn resume and it's just you know. Like you're just a very like people person, entrepreneurial savvy. That's kind of how it comes across to me. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely try not to, um, you know, come out and be and say like, here's how you be an entrepreneur, those kind of things. Like, I'm definitely not like <laughs> sure. explicit about sure. it, but it's cool to hear you say that that comes out in my writing because that, I mean, it is the type of thinking that I prescribe to. Um, Cause I think it's very like problem oriented thinking, right? Like you think like, all right, well, how do I solve these pain points or these problems in the world? And um, to answer your question, yes, I was a pretty, I guess, looking back, I wouldn't have known that the word was entrepreneur, but, you know, I lived in a golf course type neighborhood growing up and um, I would, you know, like I was the kid who would like go fish golf balls out of the woods or like out of the, out of the drink and then like clean them up and, and like go sit on the cart path and sell golf balls, like free golf balls that I found. Like, you know, I was the kid who would like, great. yeah. And, you know, I, like I played, you know, uh, sports growing up at rec sports and, uh, primarily football. And I, um, I would, you know, back in the day, you know, before we had like smartphones with like, you know, discount codes on the phone, like we had sure. these cards that you could sell. Right. Do you remember these? They're like cards, oh, right? It's, it's basically a bunch of local businesses, restaurants and things that, Oh yeah. Yeah would put their deal like 10% off or, you know, $5 off or whatever it is on these cards. And these cards are, you know, would cost about $10 for you to buy. So I would go around in all the neighborhoods, like around my house and I would just sell these cards door to door um, and wow. just, and just crush it. I mean, I was the top salesman every single year. Like that's just, that was my wow. thing. Or like, you know, I would go to BJ's and buy a bunch of gum and candy and take it to school and sell it, you know, cause I would buy it in bulk and then I would just sell it at school. Got the nickname oh, yeah. candy Andy. Uh, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely had like a lot of ideas and did a lot of, tried a lot of different things. And then lo and behold, I go and get into engineering school. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's funny. I've, I've heard of, I, I think we all know people from school who, they get into engineering and they were just like those people who they built computers as a kid. They built circuits. They, they, they loved that. And then there's the people who were like, it's just the kind of problem I enjoy solving maybe, but it's not something I necessarily know I want to do. And there's, there's really a range of it. And I think, yeah. uh, in school, 
we should potentially consider looking at engineering as like maybe it's really important that a lot of these people just get a technical understanding and then get really business savvy because i think that is so much more leverage uh going into the job market Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's true yeah um yeah i always say like you know entering school i kind of learned how to learn and um yeah and and suffer in some ways right like like (laughs) there's definitely many a time where i had to stick back and do schoolwork, and all my friends who are you know business majors or you know sports marketing majors could go and and go have fun right so it's it's it was definitely a balance of um but i'm thankful for it too because i think it built into some some discipline um that you know and and hard work and how to figure things out those are the things that that i definitely got out of it absolutely so as a product manager right you kind of said earlier that it's like this cool generalist where you get to kind of have your hands in every basket and you get to work on all sorts of different problems um how would you say a product manager versus a project manager are different because i feel like maybe someone who's listening to this they might have a project manager or they might have a product manager they're not exactly keen as to the difference yeah 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 that's a good question and you know like the 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 uh the shortened version pm you know i use it exclusively for product manager uh back in the day you know you just a few years ago i would have thought pm stood for project manager but um, you know, I think, I think it just kind of shows you the, the trend in the industry too, of like how many more product managers there, there are now. Um, and, um, yeah, let me think about like the main difference between the two are, you know, I, I think a product manager is high level, you know, strategic thinking about the, the value driving aspect of the business, whether that's a product or a service, and it's just tied to those core business objectives, right? So they're like, they're ambiguously uh, driving something forward. It's almost like they don't really know how to achieve it or figure it out yet, but they're going to figure it out. And um, that's to me what product management is. And then project management is kind of more, it's more like on the administrative side of things. In my experience, it's like the administrative coordination of, of driving a a particular piece of a project forward. And so their job is more uh, defined and, and, uh, and sequenced and we're, you know, we're driving forward a specific timeline. And so that's the differences between the two. Yeah. I think that, that, that to me kind of sums it up. I think Um, it's that difference of, I think being towards a very end customer focus versus maybe being a more internal you know, focus of essentially product managers. It's this service. And I think that's all another thing that yeah. maybe, you know, it's, it's the idea that it's not just a physical product. It could be a software service. It could be a, you know, like the, I think, I think a lot of people see product manager at like, especially maybe in, in the product manager community, they see like product manager at Google, product manager at Facebook. And you're kind of like, what does that mean? What do they do? do? <laughs> what is, what is, yeah. What is the product there? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, products products can mean a lot of different things. It could be a uh, it could be a physical product. It could be a software product. It could be, you know, an actual service like you mentioned. And so, yeah, the way I think about it is like anything you use on the computer, there's somebody who put some thought and effort into it and built a product, right? So like Zoom that we're on right now is a product that someone you know, manages, and you know all the different features and functions that you interact with have been uh, meticulously considered and thought through 
and um, optimized for us to be able to use it and solve, you know, whatever pain point it is right now. And, you know, if you think back, you know, if you take a deeper, you know, look at what we're, how we're talking and communicating right now, it's like, we're not in the same physical space. And so the problem that Zoom is solving is that me and you can talk face to face on a, through, you know, through a computer screen without being, you know, located together in proximity. And so that's a, that's a product, you know, that is something that is uh, valuable and that people pay for. So anything that gives value to the market is, is, uh, could be considered a product. Yeah. And I think that that definition is really, um, that that's the definition that I think is difficult initially to wrap your head around. But then when you start seeing, you know, like, like there's a, it's, it's not just, I wrote the programming, the C code, the, whatever it is that makes, this thing it is all of the high level stuff beyond just user interface and beyond you know everything else it is when when zoom comes out with a new update when you know Mm -hmm. when uh for instance when someone comes out with a new i don't know like a new gadget right and the new update to that right tesla Mm -hmm. comes out with a new car there is something specifically designed so that the generations that are upgraded are intentional right that's right it's exactly right. It's all those, it's all the, the packaging, um, every, anything that touches what somebody may or may not buy, you know what I mean? And that is all encompassed, I think, in the, underneath the umbrella of product management. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a very interesting and, and, and prospect to be in sometimes because you can be a product, product manager of so many different things and your end customers might be it might be a b2b business that then translates to a b2c it might just be a purely b2c right yeah so it, it completely it's, it's completely all over the place um maybe now would be a good time to just give some some service level introduction to like you know product management and and you know how one might become one yeah yeah you have a lot of you have a lot of this on your linkedin content right yeah i do yeah i kind of one of the ways that i i i think through this is is to to help people who are aspiring product management uh managers uh break in right so that's a lot of my my contenters around but i mean to answer your question i think there's there's many many ways to break in there's not just you know, one that's going to work for everybody. And um, if you talk to any product managers out there, like it's, it's like you'll get a different story from each one of them and they each have their own little unique nuances. And, um, you know, what works for you might not work for the next person. And, you know, I think, you, you know, earlier you heard you heard my original strategy was to, to get into, um, you know, the startup scene in Raleigh as a customer success manager and then expand into product management within that company. Um, you know, and then, you know, that, that endeavor was cut short because I, I left to go back to school, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's a method that I've heard from other people that, that works well. Um, I've heard of people getting certifications or doing, um, you know, certain classes to, to get product experience. Like you might've heard of things like PM Dojo, uh, or, you know, uh, product school, things like that. And then um, there's other ways too, where you might be, you know, perfectly happy in your career, and um, you're already, you've already been working at a company in a specific role, like sales or design or engineering, and um, you, you might just, you know, start rubbing shoulders more with the PMs at work, and you want to, you know, take some of the take some of the load off of their plate and start, you know, wearing a little bit of a PM hat in your in your particular role. You could 
you could build, you know, break in that way. Um, yeah. And one of my favorite ways is really just to kind of you know, have that entrepreneurial mindset and start building your own products or building your own businesses and, and, uh, and break in that way. Right. Because I think that's another thing that's attractive to, to hiring managers when they can see that you've productized something uh, in your life to solve a particular problem or pain point for people. This is so. This is going going off script a bit. This is really an interesting thing I've seen in your content, and I've I've started to be mindful of it myself. Um, a lot of people when they go for a job interview, they go for they they think I have this great resume, I have these great stories from my current job about how I did this, and that's kind of usually where like maybe eighty percent of people do the prep work and they they get to. There's this twenty percent or less of people who specifically decide to say i want to go work for x company google mm -hmm. ibm whoever yeah. and i'm going to tell them how i would specifically solve a problem i think they have mm -hmm. and how i would go about it in that job and so that that idea of like not just solving problems in your current position but going out of the way to solve problems in another position or put yourself in that frame of mind to say what what do they need that i can specifically tell them you know here's 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 what my goals are right mm -hmm. so and this this ranges right from like you know you can write if you're an engineer and you write some code or you design something that basically mm -hmm. says here's 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 something better right you go out of your way and you do your own thing yeah i feel like people really pick up on that uh, for sure. Right. Like it, like, let, like put yourself in their shoes, right? Like if you're the director of product or you're running a certain business unit or, you know, you're, you're a startup CEO and you've got a few employees, but you're, you're on, you're about to hire some other employees, right? Like put yourself in their shoes. And if someone like cold emails you and says, here's 10 ways to improve your product and get more traction, I think you're going to open that email. Um, <laughs> as long as it's not, as not, as long as it's not like super, like blending in with the other like sales pitches, you know, like you, you definitely have to differentiate yourself from like the the junk that comes in, like soliciting, soliciting type stuff. Right. But yeah, um, yeah, you're totally right. Like if you can sit there and brainstorm and legitimately come up with, you know, 10 product improvement ideas, ways for them to grow their product or service, ways to improve uh, customer retention or, um, you know, reduce churn, whatever, whatever those metrics are that the particular product or business that you're trying to break into, whatever they care about, um, there is uh, certainly an opportunity for you to go and do some extra extracurricular work and um, yeah, send them something that they're one surprised by two, um, you know, would actually consider using. Um, so you're providing value before you even get to the conversation. And then three, it just separates and differentiates yourself from the rest of the field. Like you're no longer even in the 20%, you're in the 1%. Absolutely. And I think it's important here to distinguish too, from what I've seen, uh, you know, it's not just because I think sometimes people come up with these answers are like, oh, go, go spend $20,000 more on marketing and on Facebook ads. It's like, that's, that, that is a answer. I'm not going to say it's not an answer, but that is, yeah. you know, can you come up with something that's organic? simple can you do it like and 20 minutes or or a few hours maybe of just really focusing on it right yeah can you come up with that 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 thing that's not just like let's dump more money on this exactly and the tough part is actually coming up with those things and the way that you um 
you know, the way that you get those, I'll call them what I like to call them is like earned insights, right? The way you earn those insights is through like getting your hands dirty, right? So you have to download, you know, the product and mess with it and use it. You have to get the demo and break it down. You have to comb through reviews on Apple or the Apple store or Google play store. You have to go and look at the different review sites that, that exist out there. Check out YouTube reviews, check out the comments and just see what people are saying about their product, their, their product. And then the problems that they're having with the, with the product. And, um, you can start to get a feel for the sentiment and and what may or may not be improved by these products. And you can really dive in and understand how you might be able to add value. Um, and, you know, if you combine that with some of the other insights you have in the industry, like whether that be the creator economy or, um, you know, specific industry, you know, specific industry experience that you have from work, then yeah, you're combining a bunch of ideas from a lot of different places. And that's where a lot of value is, is frequently found. Yeah, and you know, you it's, your your examples were were great specific to software, but I think it's important to emphasize that this applies to hardware. This applies to yeah, you know, if you're working, if if your job is to design a computer monitor, you should tear down the computer monitors and yeah. see what's good, what's bad. I think I think tear down analyses and and these things are are critical to not just understanding where the components come from, but but like how future generations are made and cost structures and like so all of this you know i think circles back to your point earlier that product management is is a is a whole umbrella of things it is mm -hmm. not yeah. just you know you 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 some some product managers need very technical skill sets others are focusing on a very customer experience end of things right but you, right. you kind of need both right yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are all good points you bring up too there. I mean, and, and like that reverse engineering thing about, you know, if you, if you want to build a physical product, like go buy the five nearest competitors of that and figure out what works and what doesn't, and then mix and match the best components of each and, you know, take out the components of each that stink. And then you, you've got something that could potentially work. Yeah. I think that's a, I think it's a great thing. I honestly, in, in my, in my line of work, I kind of, I would be very excited to see engineers who come into interviews and say, I, you know, like if, if it's so like at my work, we do, um, we build like led lighting gotcha. type modules that go into essentially like your, you know, general lighting, uh, some, something goes into automotive spaces, et cetera. Mm. And so if someone comes in and says, Hey, I thought about, this downlight I saw, and here's how I would do it differently. That would go volumes at my company. That would speak. That would speak a lot too, because that's cause that's that's kind of what we do every day. It's kind mm -hmm. of like, hey, what's the current generation? What's what do we do next? And I think that brings me to the next kind of the next great question, which is how do you get how do you perceive the next generation of things before they happen? How do you make sure you're not just following everyone else? The next generation of things in terms of the product you're saying yeah just the product right so if you have if you're at your software service if you're at your physical product whatever it is okay in two years we need to launch gen 2 or gen 5 or whatever yeah how do you how do you connect to here's what it needs yeah you definitely want to yeah that's one of the that's one of the strengths of of product managers for sure um so if you're somebody who has uh good vision and you have the ability to say you know this product here 
is going to be pretty badass in the future. Like something along the lines of like, let's just, I work best with examples. So, so I think about like, like crypto, right. Um, I wouldn't call myself a huge crypto guy or a huge like web web three person yet. Uh, or, but you start to look at these technologies and you think, what other problems could this solve? Right. So like I have a buddy who, who last night was telling me that, um, he went, he, he just moved states and he was going to the DMV. He waited an hour outside in the rain and the cold <laughs> because they're not allowed inside because of COVID. And uh, they were like, you know, hey, we can't we can't give you this this license in in this new state. Right. Because your old state, North Carolina, uh, has a hold on your, your license. He's like, so he had to go take care of that. And he goes back to North Carolina, the DMV, you know, hours on the phone, whatever. <laughs> and um, they eventually get, they eventually find the culprit, what happened. When he, sold, <laughs> when he sold his car to the company that bought his car, that company never transferred the title, right? So when the new buyer of the car got into a wreck and didn't have insurance, um, that hit went against my friend. And because the, the car, the title of the car was in his name, right? And so this is something that Web3, the blockchain, like if you're able to mint your car title or your house title, you know, these important documents, if you're able to, to, to put them on chain um, and now create a living digital asset that everyone in the world agrees that you are the owner of said car, these types of issues go away. My friend avoids the pain of having to deal with three DMVs or two DMVs in, in this in the span of three days, right? So like, yeah. So those are the types of problems where if you can start to see, you know, these new emerging technologies and, and the different use cases and how they may be used, that's a lot of what product management thinks on. But when it comes to your particular product, it's definitely you want to have a pipeline of, of ideas and vision for what your product's going to look like over the course of the next couple of years, right? That is always going to be, you know, near term is always a little bit more concrete than long term. You always want to have that room for pivoting because you're pivoting based on what the needs and the pain points are out in your your user base, the people who are using your products, consuming your products. And so people change. And because people change, your product's going to change. And so you have to maintain that flexibility, but also have an understanding of what value you bring to the world through your products. And it's, that's really what it's about. Yeah. I, I think getting close to the end customer is really hard for a lot of people because it's, it's, you know, and in some ways, I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, my thing is the Uber of this thing, right? Right. Or I am the, I'm building the Facebook of these things. And it's like, you you hear this stuff, but like, (laughs) it's, I think the genius in those apps isn't that, you know, they were just like these wildly successful things. They they saw the value in the end customer. You know, Uber bet that like we're going to be so much happier just using our phones and going like I want someone to pick me up and take me somewhere else. Yeah, we're going to value that over having to hail a taxi or anything else that we might do. Um, yeah. and just as easily, taxi services could have foreseen that and said, "Here, we're going to build our own app." Right? You know it. You know, I think that brings up a good point because I think I think there were some people who saw that like before Uber saw it. Right. But they started right. a little too early. So if you think in the 2006 range, there's not too many people who have uh, smartphones yet. Right. So like the, right. the whole industry of Uber and what it is, I mean, it's predicated upon having um, the network effect of everybody having the ability to 
to hail a taxi from the palm of their hand. And those that didn't quite exist until there was this point at which most people started having smartphones. And that's really one of the catalysts behind the success of Uber is, is that people actually had to have the ability to do that, right? And so a forward-thinking product manager set, sees those kinds of trends and says, you know, this particular thing is not going to work just yet because it's not adopted. And I'm thinking specifically in terms of Web3 and, 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 and NFTs, right? Yeah. Like somebody right. right now isn't going to solve the problem that my buddy had at the DMV tomorrow because right. the government, there's too many blockers in the way that prevent you from providing that value tomorrow. But in two years, you start to see the network effect of, oh, wow, like the majority of people in the United States now have their, you know, their car title digitized in a blockchain. What else can we do with that? And you start thinking about all the different possibilities and problems that can be solved. Yeah, timing is a really important part of it because, I mean, it's, you know, to your point, in case anyone's not aware, right, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, it's essentially uh, a digital asset that we is minted on the blockchain. And that's yes. how we kind of, like, like Andrew said, everyone agrees that it exists, therefore it exists. This isn't similar to things like Bitcoin, Ethereum. You know, I'm I'm also involved in the crypto space myself personally, just because I I like it and I'm curious about it. But I'm not, yeah. You know, I'm I'm not out here claiming Dogecoin is going to solve problems or anything. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it, it's it is a very interesting technology, and I think you know we've already seen NFTs go for millions of dollars, and all this other stuff. But the technology's actually got use cases, right? Yes. Uh, to your point, like you said, the car titles, housing, real estate. Uh, deeds to homes or you know all these other things could be verified on the blockchain to make our lives easier that's right simultaneously though the i mean i would be curious just from i a uh ux ui person like if i could you know if i could meet a ux ui person who was like here's everything currently wrong with the ux ui of every crypto interface it requires mm. you to really, really understand because there's like this awkward pause of transferring money. There's like this, oh, yeah. wait, did did it go through? Like there's all <laughs> these things that that make it so kind of like scary. <laughs> and yeah. so that's going to keep everyone away from it until we resolve these like free flowing issues. Yeah, exactly. And the, the actual fact that it's called crypto is another scary <laughs> thing. <laughs> we need to come up with a better name. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Right. It's like until until and I mean, this is I think this is kind of something I always try to think of with like Web 3.0 new tech. Right. I'm like until until like my grandpa, I don't have a grandpa, but let's pretend I had a grandpa. Until my grandpa is like really comfortable with yeah. basically like picking up his phone and doing it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Right? Yep. So or you like, pay attention like, to how these tidal waves affect user behavior and user sentiment and, and the psyche that you know most people will will have because of these new technologies. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's the same thing applies to like, I, um, in the optics space, a lot of people are talking about AR and VR and XR. Yep. Yep. And I think that's a really exciting space right now. I don't think until we spend like an hour a day in AR VR land, I don't know if we get like, it. The products are going to, yeah. All the products aren't going to be like huge upsides. So right. to your point earlier, timing is like, it's really critical to watch what end users and what like massive amounts of end users are doing. Yep. 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 So you got to pay attention to those big, uh, those big, I call them, yeah, tidal waves, but those things that change the sentiment of people, the things that change what you're capable of doing, right? So if you're building something that's just 
like you know think back like 20 years if you were if you were building like this awesome experience but you weren't leveraging the internet then you yeah you failed to see the tidal wave of the internet coming then you're probably not doing so hot today right until you until you get on the internet so yeah yeah absolutely um so it sounds like when you decide what your products need that's very much being close to the end user and that's very much being close to the customer yes and and you you leverage kind of like like you said earlier you leverage what they are saying um how do you how do you filter what they're saying because i mean i think we've all seen customers who say they want something and we're like you don't really want that you know so how do you how do you filter that out yeah yeah these that's a really good question you know i think it really depends on where you are uh, and what kind of product management you're in, you know, or whether you're you're building a product of your own or you're working on enterprise products with enterprise customers, right? So, like, it really depends on the situation. But when you boil it down, I think each of those situations probably have this in common where people usually tell you what you want to hear, what they think you want to hear, right? So, like, <laughs> they usually will say, like, because either they're afraid of disappointing you or they like you or whatever it is. Like there's just this human interaction thing where I don't want to piss you off or make you mad or whatever. So I want to, I want to tell you nice things. Right. So there's a little bit of like bias built into everything your customer says, and you just have to realize that when you're asking these questions. And so you want to try to ask as many questions you possibly can without leading them down a particular path, which is really tough to do. But, you know, some of the ways that you can, you know, get to the, you know, closer to the truth of what your, what problem it is that you're trying to solve is to ask them questions um, in relation to not only the problem you're trying to solve, but all the other problems that they have going on. Right. So if you're solving this particular problem or you're working to try to solve this particular problem for them and your whole conversation, you know, only centers around that particular problem and then you leave it, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you would really want to get to the meat of, hey, where does this problem rank in terms of all the rest of the problems that you're having in your business or in, in your life or whatever it is? And you can start the, you know, maybe this problem that we thought we were trying to solve right here was really important, but it turns out it wasn't. It's actually below, you know, in the in the in the Likert scale order of where things lie. And so there's really like nuanced things when you're talking to customers to do that. So the best way to really get to the information is to try to collect all different types of information. So not only do you want to collect that, you know, qualitative conversational type of data from, from customers um, because it is worth something. I'm not saying it's not worth anything. Um, It's just, it just can be biased. And so you want to find information that, um, you know, can be measured as well by action. And so I would much rather watch somebody tinker with a physical product and figure something out because they're not lying. <laughs> you know, when they're trying to figure something out, they're not like trying to, they're not telling you something that you want to hear. They're like trying to figure it out. And like they're with, it's a lot harder to lie with actions than it is to say something. Right. So even, so that's why I like, you know, being able to have users use products and watch them and, um, you know, visualize them in their element as they're, as they're working on it. Right. So that you can gather insights from that. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. The idea that, you know, we are, especially as, you know, engineers, right. But even 
the people outside of that we're always tinkering with stuff and trying to figure out how it works and there's so many things that are designed for engineers that engineers will grasp really quickly but then you give it to someone else who's not an engineer and it's like they don't they do not get grasp this thing at all right they're just like mm-hmm. what, what, is, what am i even looking at and that's yeah. now suddenly this great flaw in your product which is like oh, okay we designed for a specific audience accidentally right yeah yeah and you definitely take that into into consideration like who are the personas that you're designing for like and i mean you can't solve you can't solve every problem for everybody either i think you do have to you do have to niche into hey this this is actually designed for this particular purpose like and it needs to be used this way with you know this particular set of skills and your product is gonna you know really blow up in that niche but might not be adopted by other people that don't particularly have that problem so that's another yeah you you made this great one you've made a lot of posts obviously on linkedin i think you celebrated your hundredth day straight of posting I think. that's right yeah 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 congrats on that that's yeah, a big thanks. accomplishment um i i there's this one that sticks out to me right now where you you just so every now and then you'll you'll design kind of like these hypothetical products right yeah and you'll post about it and i think that's really cool because that's a really that that gave me a really good glimpse into oh here's how i should try and logic through this process Mm -hmm. and it was one of like you know it was a parent who has a kid who's trying to uh make sure they don't eat foods outside of their religion Mm. and you said well what kind of an app would there be that teachers could have that would you know or uh, basically they could look at they could have all the students in their class on the app and then they could have all the food dietary restrictions set on there Mm -hmm. and it would organize for them like oh, okay if i'm going to order pizza for the class this kid can have dairy this kid can't this you know so i need to order two cheeses i can order one meat and a gluten-free right yeah yeah and and you walk through how like if you just do that and then it's you know you charge a thousand dollars a year for it mm-hmm. and you you just give that to you have unlimited users on it unlimited logins and you just sell it to like a principal at like uh, certain schools, right? Mm-hmm. You just need a hundred schools to say yes, and you have a hundred thousand a year. Yeah, <laughs> that which is like which is like mind blowing, right? That's, yeah. So how how did you get to the point where you were able to pick that problem, dissect it, run through that analysis? Because I think it's it's so great it's so great to realize that like a great mm-hmm. product isn't about serving two million people. It's not right. about building TikTok. It's not yeah about building exactly. Facebook. It's about just like, how do I market a good, solid customer base? I mean, even if you sold the app for $500, it's like 50000 a year just from building this app. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be a relatively simple app to build too, like without code. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the reason I post things like that sometimes too is because like, I just want to show people that it's not that hard to come up with an idea. So I, I know that I say this as a person who has a lot of ideas and, <laughs> sure. and I, I trust me, like I, I have a lot of friends who are like, dude, like how do you come up with so many ideas? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, you, you just start to see things. Right. And so like the reason that idea came up was because of somebody who posted that in my comments. Right. And so I was like, you know, there's just certain key words in there that were like, Oh, she's experiencing some pain. Like she's got a kid who just like broke their, you know, re- re- you know, religious rule or whatever it was. Right. So, um, that's not okay at school. Right. And so you think about like all these other kids who, you know, like, they don't really know what they can and can't eat. Like, m- like younger kids, especially. Right. So, yeah. yeah. 
And so there's definitely needs to be a responsible party involved there. And then it just got me thinking like, okay, like we have CRMs for keeping track of customers and all the interactions we have with customers. Like why can't a CRM for dietary restrictions, like, you know, uh, you know, allergic reactions and, and religious violation type food exist as well. Right. And that way you have it all centralized and you can have the data and see like, you know, how, you know, what the dietary restrictions of your entire school look like. And that, you know, in turn could create lots of different solutions to, to things, right? You know, it could help you reduce the excess food you buy in your cafeteria. Um, it could help on school field trips. Um, it could be transferable to, to other schools, like if kids were to, to, to transition or move. Um, yeah, you just start thinking about like, I don't know, have you ever heard of Doodle before? Yes. So these little niche tools like Doodle, right? So like, do, you don't have to have an account or anything, but like if you want to schedule you know, a meeting with a bunch of people and you don't, you can't like, everybody's got a calendar in Google or Microsoft or whatever. It's like, everybody says, all right, let's use doodle and just say when you're available. Right. So, you know, that's another thing where I see this as something that's sort of like doodle. Like you don't necessarily need to have a sign in and everybody can just, you know, say what they're allergic to or not and have it all centralized at one place so that if there's ever a group, you know, outing or a conference or things like that, where you could easily understand what food you can and can't have present and what food needs to be separated for certain, certain individuals. Right. And so then you just start to think about use cases and, you know, I just went down the road with, you know, with, with the one that was presented in that comment and, you know, reverse engineer it from, from, from what a particular solution could look like back down to what problem are you solving and why would somebody pay for this? Yeah. I, I think that's that's probably the hard part is is I think we all maybe want to convince ourselves people will pay for this because we think wait I had one um, I think my boss at my first job was always like we love our own ideas too much sometimes mm-hmm. you know like we sometimes we we think our ideas are so great and we need other people to help check them and and be like hey th- that that's a neat idea but here's all the things you're not thinking of do you yeah. have that kind of ecosystem? or uh yeah you definitely yeah i i have so many ideas that i'll i'll tend to talk about them and a lot of them get shot down and that's part of the process right of like coming up with decent ideas but you know there's also this this thing you need to watch out for which is just like shooting ideas down too often such that you don't get started with something so sure. my my whole shtick with that post is saying like this could totally fail. It could, this could not be a use case. This might not even be a problem, but based on this hypothesis, it sounds like it might be. And you can, you can sit there and poke holes and try to figure out whether or not this is a good idea, or you could build an experimental MVP in like three hours and start talking to some potential customers and like get down the road and figure out whether or not it's a good idea. And the experience you get from doing that is something that you can, in fact, I know from ex- I know from my own personal experience leverage to get into product management because you could say here was my you know whole process and hypothesis and how I disproved or proved it and you know where I was going with that and hiring managers love to see those kind of conversations those kind of experiences even if they fail like I said I've got failed products under my belt and you know the the ex- that's the only things I talked about in my, you know, <laughs> in my interviews to get into product management were about those failed products. They didn't even need to, really? didn't even need wow. to succeed. I just needed to show like my thought process and how I would try to make them succeed. And that's, 
that's really what product management is about. Obviously, at the end of the day, you want to win and <laughs> you want to you know yeah. win win and succeed. But I'm just trying to show people that it doesn't even need to be the next Twitter or Facebook or TikTok. It can just be you know a, a little niche problem that solves you know um, something and that that could bring in a little extra side income or whatever it is, right? Yeah. I side note for anyone who's interested, there's this book out there I learned about. Um, I think it's called Little Giants. Um, and like the it's movie. A book about. Uh, I don't know if it's about the movie. Okay, I just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I, it's it's in similar vein to what you discussed. It's these people who basically they have like me. You know, they make after you know after expenses everything they make maybe a little bit less than six figures a year, and their business is caters to like maybe twenty people. So one of the people in the book is like I think a uh, fashion designer for like concert musicians. So like they design and they make the, they they make their own clothing for like Sheryl Crow and Aerosmith and all these people. And that's like these these small businesses that don't need a huge audience. They just need a consistent reliable base of like that one type of audience. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like like we just said thinking too big opens you up to all these things and if you maybe just focus down mm-hmm. and started there, you might have something very very viable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it reminds me too of like, have you heard of Canva before? Yes. So Canva, you know, is a little, it basically democratizes design such that people who aren't good at design like me necessarily can like pick and choose from templates and create something that looks halfway decent. Right. And so you can use it for like creating social posts and things like that. But Canva actually got its start as uh, for teachers, and um, it was a year it was a yearbook design tool. It just allows you to design really? to design yearbooks, yeah. And they wow. just they found out like through you know they really hyper focused on that and got some success, and then they just built out and expanded to all sorts of use cases, and now they're worth like north of forty billion dollars without any without funding, you know. So it's like oh, yeah. you never you never know what you got until you start building towards your specific you know audience and and then expand from there. I very much agree. So your LinkedIn content is, is kind of the thing that I think a lot of people are, you've posted consistently for a hundred days. Have you, have you posted at all before that? Was that like a challenge you started yourself? Like walk me mm-hmm. through how you got into kind of like this, I'm going to be a big LinkedIn kind of, I mean, I know you didn't, and maybe you didn't intentionally be like, I want to be a big LinkedIn superstar, but yeah. I ended up following your content because someone else was like, I love following this product manager and it like tagged you. And I was like, I'm curious about that. And so that's cool. But yeah. 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 I'm always curious how, how people, how people stumble upon me, but yeah, I, I'm definitely not a huge LinkedIn person, like LinkedIn um, creator necessarily by any means. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I have been trying to give away uh, value uh, as much as possible for the past you know, you know, 100 business days, right? So um, it all kind of started, yeah. And before that, I don't really post on any social media. Like, like I do have you know, Facebook, uh, you know, Twitter, and, and Instagram, but sure. I don't necessarily use them. And um, I just started thinking with, with LinkedIn and I never really posted on LinkedIn before this either. I maybe had like two or three posts, like in the 10 years that I had LinkedIn. And I just started thinking like, you know, I think if, if I could create some LinkedIn content about product management and just share some of the things I've learned and some of the ideas I have, I think it'd be cool to like, just kind of create a community of curious people who are either product managers or aspiring to 
aspiring to become product managers who could just start building a lot of these cool tools, you know, on the side and like we could have, you know, fun doing that. And so I thought this could really be a, uh, an inbound opportunity, like magnet to be able to create, you know, content like this. And then also meet, you know, other smart people and cool people outside of my circle that uh, I wouldn't normally have access to. Right. So, and that's part of the reason we're here having this conversation. It's like cool people like you reach out. So like, I just, yeah, I just, you know, you know, experimented and thought, you know, let me give this a shot for, for 30 days. And you hear the, you hear this terminology on LinkedIn a lot, uh, like personal branding. Um, and so, you know, I don't necessarily like love or prescribe to that terminology, but I think it's, I think it's somewhat true when you boil it down is that LinkedIn for the longest time, you've been associated with whoever you work for. But I think that's changing. And so now you're associated with yourself and you have this cool opportunity to put your ideas out into space and let people noodle on it in a professional way, not like a really social you know, way on like Instagram about things that don't really matter, like what you ate for breakfast or where you're going to eat on a date night. Like, like people care, but they yeah. don't, people care, but they don't. Right. So like, these right. are the types of ideas that actually add value to people's lives. And I'm not saying you can't do that on Instagram. So don't, don't, <laughs> don't email me and, and, uh, and hate me. But, um, but yeah, you kind of see where I'm getting at with, uh, with why I think LinkedIn does have a lot of uh, power if used correctly. And, you know, obviously there's like this mantra about LinkedIn sometimes about it being pretty cringy. And I agree it is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of crap on LinkedIn for sure. But um, if you can, if you can differentiate yourself, your voice from that, um, you know, from that particular type of content, then you could really stand out and create something meaningful. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny you mentioned cringy LinkedIn content. I mean, how many times have we seen that post that's like, you know, I was late to an interview and I helped a stray dog and the stray the dog. dog was inter was the interviewer, you know, and it gave me a six-figure salary. And yeah, it's yeah. it's like, okay, we can we can stop with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think LinkedIn, it is, it is exciting in a way. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that LinkedIn is the kind of place where like you'll post something and it will show up in people's feed for like the next four weeks you know like you'll you'll get something that might be like like it there is there is still there's a lot of content on linkedin but it will still your your own content can organically grow there mm -hmm. um and so i think a lot of businesses are leveraging b2b sales and marketing and stuff on it so it's interesting in that sense but you know i, I don't think you know, I've always loved science and engineering. I don't think I would have talked about science engineering on Facebook or Instagram or uh, Twitter, maybe, because Twitter is kind of like that, that universal water cooler, you know, of mm -hmm. like the, the internet, essentially. But I, LinkedIn's where, you know, I can join subgroups on like, these mm -hmm. are people who love laser physics. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I want to talk to those people. Those are mm -hmm. people I, I, I know. And so you get more of that, like, who else is doing what you do, but around the world. Yes, that, exactly. That, that is now exciting to see and, and share and ideas. Yeah. Share those, yeah. Share those ideas. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing too, for your audience, it's like, it doesn't necessarily need to be LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn is just right. one tool that you could use to create this community or create, or like share your ideas and get yourself out there. I think it's more about exercising that muscle of, of consistency and, and putting your ideas out there, getting, getting real live feedback, like immediately. 
and being able to iterate on your ideas and whether that you use TikTok or, or, or LinkedIn or a blog or Medium or, or Twitter, you know, you could use any of those. It's just a matter of being consistent with it long enough to see whether or not those results are taking place and you're getting the, the type of uh, you know, uh, feedback for yourself that you, you deem to be you know, successful. And so, yeah. Yeah. And consistency, consistency is like, it takes a long time. Like I'm, I'm only three weeks for four weeks into this podcast. And I'm like, this has to be a one year long thing, a minimum in order for yeah. me to see how, how it goes. Right. Yeah. Once I do it for that amount of time, then I'm like, okay, maybe this is good. Maybe this is bad. And even if it absolutely crashes and burns and fails, you, I learn a lot yeah. from this process and to meet people. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And like, I respect somebody's hustle so much more when they are at least putting themselves out there and not and being not afraid to fail. Unlike me, you know, four or five months ago, who was like, just like too afraid to, to put my myself out there on the internet. And either A, because I didn't see the value at the time. Now I do. And B, because I was just afraid of what other people would would think or, or that I would say something dumb and get in trouble or whatever it was, right? Yeah, I mean that's definitely how I felt too. I'm I'm naturally not as like the like you know there are people who naturally love posting on LinkedIn and are just social media in general. And I'm just I'm personally not one of those people, but I know there are people like that. And I mean, I think for instance, I kept hearing in other podcasts I listened to and other stuff that like LinkedIn's organic, TikTok's organic. You know, like go go try and push content out there. And I've I've always been engineering you know, science minded, but I've also always appreciated marketing sales and, and finance and all these other aspects of business. So for me, mm -hmm. it's like, look, if, if I want to be more than just an engineer, mm -hmm. I have to try one of these things on my own. I gotta, I gotta at least figure out one of these things. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that like this podcast is going to lend me a job at Google. I'm just saying like yeah. <laughs> the podcast <laughs> trying to do it is like, I can now go, Oh, when I posted this versus that, and when I did, you know, I tried, I tried doing TikTok content, right? Which I haven't yet. I keep saying I will. I'm going to eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, when I, I mean, I'm posting on that, and here's all the things I learned, right? It's not about TikTok being the like next great platform. It could fail. It doesn't matter. It's about doing, putting, like you said, putting in reps. Yeah. I think you know that works for engineers. That works for product managers. Works for technical marketers. Mm -hmm. anyone doing anything sales finance whatever it is you have to put in reps to see what the thing actually is you know we can yep. talk about doing push-ups or we can do push-ups <laughs> yeah exactly you got it right <laughs> yeah good good on you man uh congrats on putting yourself out there and, and creating i think that's that's Thank important you. i really appreciate it um so what would you say kind of you know i think we can go ahead and start closing this out yeah what would you say are um if our audience has product product managers, what is a good way that they can better interact with them, or you know, how can they be better product managers? Uh, yeah. So two sided question there. I think if you're not a product manager and maybe you'd like to become one, and you rub shoulders at work with other product managers, then I think you have an opportunity to ask. You know. The, the product managers to work with and say like, hey, can we sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about where you see this product going? And the reason I'm asking is because I want to know how I can help you and transition into the role into a role like product management, right? So I think just being like completely transparent and clear with what your intentions are 
like helps product managers, they want to help you, right? Like they want to, they want you to succeed in your career just as much as they want to succeed in your career. So it's a good opportunity to have like a symbiotic relationship and share responsibility of certain projects, right? So if you, and, and you also have to know what value you bring to the table. So if you're a designer and you have a product manager, who's maybe not the greatest designer, well, you know, obviously they're going to rely on you for design skills, but what is it that you can teach them or help them understand about design such that it improves the overall product for the company? And, you know, and what are some of the things that they're cu currently faced with? Like, what is the actual work that they have to spend time doing um, that you can spend your time, your extra time, if that, if it makes sense, um, to do to take off their plate to help to help the team succeed? And I don't think there's a project manager out there who's going to like say, uh, no, you can't help me with anything. Right. You know, like they, they, they love delegation. They love the ability to work as a team and, and um, they, they want you to be able to build up your portfolio of, of, of uh, side projects at work so that you can come to a manager and say, you know, I want to switch to product management. Here's why. And here's what I've done so far in this realm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think those, I think that's great. It's, you know, that combination of, I think, I think when people go with that lens of I'm going to focus on helping everyone rather than just helping myself, I think that, that instantly takes you to a better place you yeah. know, in terms of like do, getting work done, but also just like mentally and I think emotionally people at work see you in a better way because they're like, oh, like they, they just genuinely want to help. And I think that's, that's always a good way to go about something. Yeah. Um, how should the audience focus on building products and does this change depending on the type of product? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. So to answer the, the later, the latter part of your question, hundred percent depends on what type of product you're working on. Like you could be in enterprise B2B software, like I am at IBM, you could be in B2C, you know, software products like, you know, for, uh, like LinkedIn, for, for example, um, you could be in physical products, B2B or B2C, or you could be building your own side product by yourself. Right. So there's lots of different variations of, of, sure. uh, of what you're what you're building and and how you go about it and it's going to change in each in each way so you know i tend to focus uh, a lot of my linkedin content around that last example i threw out there which was about building your own products on the side and i always tend to think like you know try to mark down like the way i go about it is try to mark down or jot down ideas as soon as they happen in in, in your brain right just capture them and then come back to them but what you're looking for are just like points in your life where you're like, damn, like, ouch, like that hurts. Or like, or I wish this, I wish this did something different. Or um, I wish, you know, this was more like this, or, um, you know, this took forever, or man, I'm tired of doing this over and over again. Like just those types of, um, you know, phrases are the things that you're, you're, you know, wanting to be on the lookout for. And then once you've captured a list of different ideas or different pain points in your life and problems that you have, then you can start to get creative and think about like, okay, well, how would I, you know, reduce this redundant task down to taking one minute, right? And then just spit all ideas with people and say like, hey, like, how would you like no longer do dishes or like, you know, whatever it is that, that you, <laughs> that you happen to hate in life. Um, and, yeah. and that's where a lot of the, the fun, creative ideas come from. Um, and yeah, just being on the lookout for those types, that type of language, so that you can start to to ideate you know, potential solutions and then test them, um, 
you know, as you're, as you're looking to build products, because when you're building these side products, you're not necessarily trying to have that million dollar idea, right? You could, you could in fact go and have an existing product out there and just twist it up just a little bit and, and be, be almost as successful as a lot of these products out there. Right. So you don't, it doesn't even need to be hundred percent original. It just needs to be something that you have the energy to work on, have the excitement to work on, have the passion and, you know, have a good idea and understanding of what the, the problem is that you're trying to solve. Awesome. Well said. Uh, Andrew, if anyone's interested in following your, uh, you have great LinkedIn content, but are you posting anywhere else or are you, you have a blog, anything else anyone can follow you on? So right now it's, it's strictly LinkedIn. I'm uh, I'm one of those guys who's like, I'm going to go all in on this one thing. And then once I get to a sustainable point, I'll, uh, I'll probably expand over to, to, to Twitter or a newsletter, but I'm not there. I'm not at that point yet. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have any, any good content people should especially check out though? So like, uh, I think you, I think in one of your posts, you might have talked about posting, um, a couple great pieces on like breaking into PM and whatnot. Any- yep. Yeah, I try to throw the, the the more popular posts up in my featured section of of my profile. Okay. Yeah, cool. So hey, everyone, make sure to check out Andrew Balker, uh, product manager at IBM. His featured section and his LinkedIn profile is going to have all sorts of cool goodies there. Um, I think even one one thing I remember seeing from you was a uh, like how to write the letter for uh, when you're trying to buy a home. What's I yeah. think what it's called exactly? Yeah, a homeowner letter. Yeah, Home, homeowner letter. Yeah. So that you know, if you're looking, if you're looking to buy a home, he's got a great one there. Um, so very awesome. Thank you yeah. so much, Andrew. It's great yeah. having you on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Great conversation. Thanks. All right. Take care. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Design Rewind podcast. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Anchor, Apple, or Spotify. Give me a review and follow me on Twitter at Design Rewind Pod. Would you or someone you'd know like to be on the show? Shoot me an email at designrewindpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me or hit me up on LinkedIn. Thanks.